So we are taking a little break from the series In Trauma. Uh, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I, I was sharing with Pastor Rodney uh, a while back. I was sitting on my couch, probably watching a YouTube video or something, uh, and uh, my dogs were whining by the little door on the other side of the house, and so I told my little Junie, uh, she's three years old, go open the door so they can eat and drink, right? We have the water there, the food there, everything's perfect, right? There's nothing she has to do at all other than open a door. Uh, but so I, I hear silence for about 10 minutes, and then I'm like, wait a second, we got a problem. And I go in there, and Junie had taken the dog food, and she had put it in the water, and so the food was swelling up, and there's food all over the floor, and she was sitting in the middle of it just playing and talking to herself. It was really cute, uh, but what I realized is that I can't just send Junie unsupervised to go and feed the dogs. And so I don't want to be like Junie this morning and deal with the issue of trauma, right, while Rod is away. Uh, and I don't want to get in the food and the water and mess everything up that he has set. And so what we're going to do this morning is it, it's almost as if there's a door for this trauma series. I'm going to have one foot in, and then most of me is going to be out. And every once in a while, I'm going to put an arm in. But like, do you see what I'm saying here? Okay, so we're going to deal a little bit with trauma, but mostly what we're going to look at this morning is what does it look like to walk with God? So we're gonna go to some pretty obscure verses and there's a reason for it. So if you have your Bibles, open to Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's the Deuteronomy is a part of the Pentateuch. It's the first five books in the Old Testament. And so if you're new to the scriptures, start at the beginning and slowly work your way forward. You'll find Deuteronomy right there. We're gonna be reading from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, two very obscure books. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Another verse we want to read is Leviticus 26, 12 through 13. Open your Bibles, Leviticus 26, 12 through 13. That's actually right before Deuteronomy, so just rewind a little bit. It says this, I will walk amongst you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall not, uh, that you shall not be their slaves. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. Now, the reason I'm reading these verses to you, number one, is because it's using my word that I want to communicate today, walk. What does it look like for us to walk with God? What does it mean for us to walk with God? But the reason these passages are so significant to you and to me is because when God is speaking these passages over the nation of Israel, he's speaking them to a people who's about to enter into his promise. They're about to receive the blessing that God had prepared for them. God is pulling them from a place of bondage and slavery, and he's leading them to a place of promise and blessing. But in the meantime, there's this in-between period where God is going to take them from this land called Egypt. It represents slavery. It represents bondage. It represents the bad things in our life that keeps us back from walking into the things of God and the things that he has planned for us, right? God is gonna take these people from a position of bondage. He's gonna lead them to a place of blessing. But in between, there's this place called the wilderness, and it's in the wilderness that God is going to teach these people how to walk with him. It's in the in-between. 
They've gone through their trauma. They've gone through their difficulties. They had a script that Pastor Rodney talked about that they were following, that their life was in. And they may not have liked it, but they were comfortable with it. But then God comes and he messes it all up and he takes them from this position of bondage and he moves them out of it into a wilderness. And what God is doing, the reason God does this is because it's in the wilderness that God is going to teach the people a very important thing, and that's what faithfulness looks like. Here's the deal. When we go from a place of bondage to, to freedom, when we go from a place where our, everything in our life is being bound up in things that are dysfunctional and broken, when we go from that position to a new position, it doesn't happen overnight. There's oftentimes and always a place of wilderness where God draws us into. Over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, it's this picture of God drawing out. He'll use language of like two young lovers. He's, I'm gonna draw you out like a lover into the night. He's talking to an entire group of people saying, I'm going to bring you into the wilderness. I'm going to remove you from your bondage. I'm gonna remove you from your brokenness. But before you can enter into my promise, you have to walk with me through the wilderness. The only way you and I move to that position of promise and blessing that God wants to put on our life is to first enter into the wilderness because it's in the wilderness we learn of the faithfulness of God. We just read through Deuteronomy and Leviticus, two, two very obscure passages from two really difficult to read books. But remember, these books are written to a people who are about to enter the promise. Did you know that they didn't enter it the first time? Did you know you can come out from bondage and brokenness and you can enter the wilderness and you can still fail? There was an entire generation that didn't make it into the blessing and the promise of God because when they went through the wilderness, it didn't sink in who it was that was leading them. And what it all comes back to what we learn from their story, what we learn from their wilderness journey is number one, we have a journey that we're on. But number two, if we don't learn what it looks like to walk with God, we too will stand before his promises and we will not enter. Why? Because our hearts have not grappled with the reality that we serve a faithful God who can pull us through anything. Our hearts are bent and moved to a position of unbelief we would rather believe in our own works, in our own efforts, in our own strengths, in our own path, in our own way than we would in his. And so the story of scripture starts with this. It starts with a people who are moved away from God. They have hearts that don't believe and they have to all die off so God can raise up a new people whose hearts are saying, look, I've been through the pain, I've been through the trauma, I've been through the wilderness and I'm tired of it and I want something more in my life. And when they have that heart, when they have that mentality of, look, Jesus, I'm willing to do whatever you say. I'm willing to surrender my whole life to follow after you. The door opens. It's in the wilderness that God teaches us how to walk. So for some of you, this series has started to pull that out of you. You've recognized that you were in bondage. 
You've recognized that there were things in your life that are broken, maybe even from deep parts of your past. And God has called you out into the wilderness. We're all in the place of wilderness. And so my question for you this morning, we're not gonna get into the nitty gritties of trauma and and how it looks for you to, to deal with those battles and those struggles in your life. This morning, what we're gonna ask is, how do we go through the wilderness well? What does it look like for us to walk as people of faith? The first thing we realize is that God desires to walk with you. Write that down. God desires to walk with you. These two passages show us that God's desire is to bring us out of bondage, but he's not just doing it to put us up as a trophy to say, look how powerful I am. The reason he's doing it is because he wants us. He wants to have this intimate relationship with us where he can walk freely with us. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning of our story, Genesis 3, verse 8, it's the story of how man has sinned against God and, and they realize what they've done and they become aware of their position. They've realized their own nakedness and that they were ashamed. And so uh, they, they hide from God. But listen to what it says. Adam and Eve, our, our great-grandparents, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The thing I want to highlight first is that God comes out of his place to go walking with us. God's in this place called Eden where his presence dwells and he creates this garden where you and I dwell and he, he gives us this commission to have dominion over it. We're, we're gardeners. We're the world's first gardeners. That was our job. That's our purpose. Farmers. Amen? Right? This is who we were created to be. We're people of the dirt. Right, We're supposed to do these type of things. This is what God had given to us as a job. And so it looks. this is what it looks like. This is a day in the garden. You wake up in the morning, and it's nice outside. You don't have to worry about the storms coming in. And you get your tools together, and you go out and you do some weeding, and, and you go and you do some pruning, and you go and you pick some fruit, and you go and you, you take care of the creation that God made. And then in the evening, when the scripture says that God walked amongst the garden, that word walk, there's a repetition to it. You're meant to see something that happens day after day after day after day. This was the script that God wrote for humanity. This was our normal. This was our default. It was to work during the day and then the evening, God the Father would come and he would walk with us. And we would go for a walk together and we would explore different avenues of the garden. This is who we were made to be. This was the script that God wrote for you and for me. And in this part of the story, what we see is Adam and Eve, they messed that script up. Their dysfunction boils to the top and all of a sudden, instead of God coming out and them being safe and them being secure and them being comfortable by seeing God the Father, the creator of all of this that he's given to us, instead of us being in a position of peace, what we see is now Adam and Eve is hiding behind a tree trying to avoid his presence. This is where the bizarrety of human nature comes into play. They're hiding from the one they're meant to have relationship with. They were made for God, but now they're hiding 
from him. I was listening to a psychologist, his name is Jordan Peterson. He was talking about these passages, and he said something that's really unique that I've never heard before, and I don't how true it is, I'm not sure. But he said it's almost as if these passages are like a divine comedy. You're meant to read them and almost laugh to yourself because they're so bizarre. You see God coming out of the garden, and the first, or the first thing he says to, to Adam and Eve is, where are you, as if he didn't know. As if God was totally clueless as to what was going on. He says, where are you and what have you done? And he sees Adam and Eve and they come out and he says, did you eat of the fruit that, of the tree that I told you not to eat? And what does Adam say? She made me do it. The first thing he does is point the finger at his wife and say, it's her fault. This is what sin does to you and me. It upsets the, the, the order that God has created. And all of a sudden, instead of us taking responsibility for the things that God has given to us, we're diverting it to someone else. This is what Adam does. He says, God, it was her fault. And then you know what he does? Bruce Walkie makes this point. He's, he's a, a great Old Testament scholar. And it's a pretty obvious point. But you know what else Adam does? He blames the woman, but then he blames God. He says, she's the one who gave it, and you gave her to me. God, you did this. Didn't you know this would happen? Didn't you know when you would put woman in my life that she would lead me astray? I mean, it's bizarre what he's doing. You're meant to laugh. You're meant to be like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Wives, you're kind of meant to look at your husband and be like, are you doing this right now, honey, right? But like, that's what's going on in this story. But this is what sin does. Another scholar that I, that I greatly appreciate, John Walton, he says it like this. He says, the problem with this scenario, the problem with sin, isn't that it makes us bad. Or the main problem of sin isn't that it makes us bad. It does make us bad, right? Amen? Right? There's like this thing inside of us that sin creates that that we need to be destroyed. It does make us bad. But he says the biggest problem with the scene is not that sin makes us bad, but that it removes us from the presence of God. It takes us and it pushes us away to no longer where are we walking with God in the cool of the day, day after day after day, and that's the script we live our life by. But instead now we're removed from God's presence because we're ashamed of ourselves. We look at ourselves and we say, God, I'm not good enough to be with you. You're a holy God and I'm not. And all of a sudden we become embarrassed. What does Adam and Eve do? They cover themselves with leaves. They put on a face. They put on a mask. They put, on, they put things on their body that God never intended for them to put on their body. They felt things that God never intended for them to feel because the script had changed. And we've been dealing with it ever since. So what I want you to see is that God made us to walk with him. What are some of the benefits of walking? How many of you guys walk on a regular basis? Downtown, let me see some hands. I know I can't really see you, right? But how many of you walk on a regular basis? Be, be honest. Come on, I want to see some hands. Okay, I have one, two, three. I'm going to be able to count every single person in this room. Four. That's it. Whoa, okay. Well, I, I would not raise my hand either, although I have started walking after I've done some of this research, okay? Okay. But I, I listened to a guy named Shane O'Mara. He's a scholar that looks into the benefits of walking. And one of the things he discovered in his research 
is that there's a lot of benefits that come from it. There's a lot of health uh, functions that come from this. And in fact, it actually affects your brain. And his argument is that human beings, human beings were designed, or excuse me, they were made to walk. The reason we have these legs and these arms is because we are creatures that are supposed to walk. In fact, our brain proves this. And so he did research on the brain. There's this part of our brain, it's called, I'm gonna, uh, I, over the weekend I got a PhD in neuroscience so I can say these words. The hypocampal formation. There's this part of your brain, it's a little one, the hypocampal formation. And what it does when you walk, it actually causes that part of your brain to begin to function. It's like it opens that part of your brain up. In fact, your brain is a muscle. Science is learning, uh, PhD, right? Your brain is a muscle, and your muscles grow the more you work them out. And so one of the things they've discovered is that as people walk, as they put one foot in front of the other, right, this part of the brain kicks in in ways that it doesn't if you're sitting stationary, if you're sedentary, if you're like a rock sitting on the ground. This part of your brain is not lighting up. But when you walk, it activates, and this part of the brain, what's unique about it is this is the part of your brain that helps you remember more. This is the part of the brain that unlocks creativity so that you can come up with more ideas. They did studies in the 70s and, and even up to today where they've, they've taken groups of people and they've experimented and they said, hey, we're going to be thinking about this idea right here, and we're going to be coming up with solutions to make it better. And so they took half of the group and they said, we want you to walk for five to 10 minutes. Everybody in this group has to walk five to 10 minutes. Everybody in this group, you're gonna sit here and you're just gonna do whatever you want. You're just gonna sit here, you can play video games, we don't care, just do whatever you want. And they brought this group back, they, they put the two groups together, they had the, the problem, they started thinking of solutions and what they realized and what the study showed is that the group that went out walking for just five to 10 minutes had twice as many ideas on average as the group that sat there stationary. Here's what this means. This part of your brain literally grows when you walk, right? The more you walk, the more this muscle is being used, the more this memory is being engaged, the more your creativity will come out of you when you walk, and so if you walk, you're probably someone that has the ability to think of ideas more so than someone who's just sitting down. So I would encourage all of you, get out and walk today. It might be the last day we can do this, okay, for a while, okay? But isn't that ironic? Isn't that unique? Isn't that special that God would put this part in our brain and design it specifically so that when we walk, whether it's by ourselves, whether it's another person, or whether it's with God, when we perform those actions, there's a part of our brain that engages and we remember more. It unlocks this creative element inside of our brain that maybe we didn't even know was there. It helps us deal with the roadblocks that we run into with life. It all stems from our ability to get out of our house, to get out of the spot where we're stationary and to get in the position where we're moving with God. God has designed us. He's created us with these awkward arms and these weird legs, right? Like, like we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, amen? I'm just, I'm just playing around, right? So, some of you are more fearfully than wonderful, okay? But like that's how God made us, right? But we're called 
to be in movement, but we're called to be in movement with him. God created you to walk with him and he created mechanisms in your mind so that when you walk with him, and walking is just, it's a metaphor, right? When you walk with him, when you open up his scriptures, when you get down on your knees and you pray in the morning or you do it in the evening or you're sitting at the table and, and you're praying with your children, as you walk with God, it's meant to open up those parts of your mind where you remember more and it opens up the creativity of your heart so that you can think in ways that maybe you weren't thinking before. I'm telling you, church, when, when people who are in the wilderness learn what it means to walk with God, we begin to see things differently. We begin to look at the world around us differently. When we see that dead tree in the wilderness, it reminds us that there's a faithful God who's leading us into something that we can't create on our own. There's this, I was, I was looking through my phone, going down memory lane. How do you guys do that? You just get your phone out every once in a while? I mean, most of us have it out all the time anyways. But how many of you, you get your phone out and you start looking through old pictures and you know, I, I got two little kids, and so I love looking back at, like, how small they used to be, and then I cry when I see them now, right? Uh, I, I remember, I, I was scrolling through, and I saw these videos of a walk I went on with, with Elsie when she was three years old. We were coming back from Oregon, and it's already a really long drive, and so I convinced my wife uh, with a three-year-old and a newborn to go three hours, four hours out of our way to the Grand Tetons. Uh, so I could visit my favorite place on earth. It was totally selfish, right? Never do that with a newborn, never do that with a three-year-old, but we did it anyways, okay? And, and I took Elsie on a hike with me. And if you know anything about three-year-olds, how many of you guys got three-year-olds in here, right? You know what I'm talking about? There's sort of this stage that a three-year-old's at where they're like learning themselves. They, they, kind of, they kind of, like you know what they can do, but they think they can conquer the world, Right, that they see this whole world and like I want to go explore, and you're like, yeah, but if you do, you're gonna face plant. You know what I mean? Like, like so I took Elsie on this hike, and and I was watching these videos, and and it was so funny because she's walking down this trail and there's like rocks sticking up, and so when she walks, she's like walking like this, you know, because she can't walk straight uh, quite yet. And if my wife was there, she would not have let me do this uh, at all because she's the responsible one. But like. I watched this video of Elsie just like stumbling through this trail and, and it almost brought tears to my eyes because all she's doing that whole video is she's just looking around and she's just talking to herself. You know how a three-year-old is? They just, they talk nonstop, like over and over and over again and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You don't want to stop it because that's their way, that's the way their brain is, is functioning. But she was sitting in this car for hours on end and now she gets out and it's like she has all this pent up energy and she's just walking. She's got her cute little uh, God blessed 49er sweater on and she's walking down this trail, right? And she's just talking to herself and we'd walk by a waterfall and she'd stop, you know, and she'd see the waterfall and she'd just be in amazement and say just bumbling random phrases to me that I still don't understand, Right? And then we made it down to this lake. It's called Jenny Lake. This beautiful river flows into this lake. And I remember I was looking through these pictures again, and, and, and she's sitting up on the rock, and there's this other video of her uh, in this lake where it's freezing cold. I mean, this is like fresh snow in the lake, right, just thawed, so it's really, really cold. And she's walking around in her, 
you know, her little sandals, and she's freezing cold, but she's loving every minute of it, and her mom would be going crazy, you know, she sits on this rock, I mean, it's, sorry, I'm, I'm not really going anywhere with the story other than, right, other than I remember that walk. I remember seeing my little girl and her brain lighting up. I remember when she saw the waterfall and how she stopped and she, was, she did, uh, right? That's what she did when she saw it, right? Uh, I remember that moment. I remember taking her down to the lake. I remember seeing her walk around in it. I'll remember that for the rest of my life because in that moment, in that moment, I saw her brain Remembering, I saw her brain being creative. I saw her brain absorbing in the environment around her and I loved being a part of it. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Take them on a walk around Melgarda and see what they do. I took my daughters out. They, they weren't walking because they're still growing in their faith. They were in a little trailer, you know. And I was pulling them because I'm the mature Christian here, right? And all they did the whole time is just look around at the world and, and just talk about it. Dad, there's a tree. There's another tree, right? There's a car. I mean, they're just going, going, going. Why? Because there's a part of their brain that's ignited when they're walking with dad. Who you walk with matters. And this wilderness that you, or I, you and I are in, as we're moving towards that promised land, as we're moving towards the blessing that God has for us, who you walk with matters. See, what you don't do is you don't go for walks with people that you don't like, right? And if you do, you have some sort of agenda. There's probably something that you need from them. And so maybe you're trying to manipulate them. The reason you go for walks with people is because you trust them. You don't go on a walk with that lady who was mean to you in the parking lot. You don't go on a walk with that coworker at work that doesn't like you very much. You're not like, man, this morning I'm going to go a walk go on a walk with Paul. I'm gonna go on a walk with Steve because they're mean and I don't like them very much. No, the people you go on walk with, walks with are the ones that you trust. They're the ones that you love. They're the ones that are close to the belt. They're the ones that you look at and you say, hey, this is my family. These are my friends. I'm gonna go on a walk with them. And when you go on those walks, what do you do? You talk. You talk about life. You talk about the drama and the things that are happening to you, you talk about the wilderness, you talk about the struggles, right? That's what we do when we walk. That's what God intended to do with you. That was the script that God wrote. His desire is to come out of his presence and not have you far away, but it's to draw you near. It's to bring you close to him because he knows you were made for him. He knows that when you're next to him and you're walking with him, there are things in your body and in your brain that are gonna light up, that are gonna help you move forward in life. They're gonna help you deal with the roadblocks or the doors that seem like they're closed in your life. They're gonna help you deal with the pain of the past. They're gonna help you deal with the stuff of life because that's the place to do it. When you're walking with God. Adam and Eve were meant to experience the garden, whether it drew up joy or frustration, and they were meant to walk with God day after day after day to process the information, to deal with the struggles, and to deal with the pain. Who are you walking with this morning?
There's a great story in Luke 24. Luke 24, 32. It tells the story of a man named Cleopas and a stranger who's probably his son. But they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And this comes at a very important point of the story. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again. And so all of Jerusalem is kind of in an upheaval. This great uh, Messiah figure, man who claimed to be God, man who claimed to be Messiah. They had killed him. They had ridden themselves of this man. And so some of the followers, right, of Jesus were all, they were terrified. They were scared. And so people were wondering what was going on. And Cleopas and, and his son are walking back home from Jerusalem, a seven-hour hike. They're walking. Their hypocampal formation is engaged. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. And he begins to talk to them for hour after hour after hour. And the conversation just carries on and nobody tries to stop it because there's something about this man that is unique. There's something about this man. They don't recognize him, but they, they know that there's something about him. He's, the way he's teaching the scriptures is illuminating something in their mind. And they finally get back to their house seven hours later. They sit down for a meal. Jesus breaks the bread. He gives them the wine. He does communion with them. Their eyes are opened, and they realize that this is Jesus. And the only reason I'm bringing this story up is because they say something that I think is profound. And I think we, when, when this sinks into our heart, this is what helps us through the wilderness. This is what they say. Luke 24, 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts burned as they walked with Jesus as they walked from one destination, the destination where the death of Christ had literally just happened. They walked from that destination back to their home. They encounter Jesus, and there's something in their hearts that come alive. There's something in their hearts that burn for the words that Jesus is teaching them. All Jesus is doing is taking the Bible and saying, showing them this is where I'm found. And in this passage right here, this is where I'm found. And when you read Leviticus 26, when you, when you read about the story of how God brought those people from bondage in, into freedom, this is where I'm at. I wanted to walk with them. I wanted to walk with these people. And as Jesus speaks to them and they're walking back home, it's like their mind is being opened to the world around them. It's like their memory is being enhanced. It's like their creativity is opening up in ways before and those parts of their heart and their soul that were dead are now coming back to life because of the one who is walking with them. So the question I wanna ask to you this morning, who is it you're walking with? And what does it look like for us to walk with Jesus? How do we walk with God? The way we start this journey, the way we start this journey is realizing, just like Pastor Ronnie's been saying this whole time, it starts with surrender. It starts when you realize that that man Jesus who went to the cross, that man Jesus took a cross on his back and he walked up the hill of Golgotha and that was the most painful, agonizing walk that someone ever could go through. And he hung on that tree and you know what Jesus did? He hung sedentary, he was stationary, he didn't move, he stopped. 
And when he stopped, he took all of our shame, all of our pain, all of our hurts, all of our hangups, all of our brokenness. Jesus took it on the cross for you and for me. He stopped just like we did in the garden. Instead of hiding behind a tree like Adam and Eve, he came out in front of it and he hung there naked. Why did he do that? He did it because he wants to walk with you. He did it because he hasn't called you to sit stationary in a pew at church listening to messages week after week after week. He did it so that he could transform you and send you out into the world and be an ambassador for his kingdom. He did it because what we saw this morning, when we see 13 people in Peru getting baptized, that's what God has called us to do. He has called us to walk through the wilderness on our way to his blessing, on our way to his promise, and to grab the hands of those people next to us because who you walk with matters. So what does it look like for you to walk with God? It's to remember every single day that God ran to you. Before you can run, you first have to learn to walk. You have to learn to walk with God before you can run to him. This is how I wanna close it. We all know the story that's like at the heartbeat of new life, right? If you peel away all our programs, if you peel away uh, everything that is on the outside that kind of represents new life, what you're gonna see, the chocolatey, gooey center of new life, you know what that is? It's the story of the prodigal son, right? And what's the story of the prodigal son? We have a young son who runs away from the father. Yeah, he lives a bad life, but the thing you see is his, the distance between him and God become greater and greater and greater to the point where he's nowhere near the father. But the way the story goes is that this son's run, right? The run that he was engaged in led to death. It led to a point where he had to say, look, I got nothing left to give. I got nothing left to pay. All my friends have abandoned me. Everything has been gone. The only thing I have left is to return to my father. And what does he do? He steps in the gate and what does the dad do? Who knows? The dad runs to him. The dad doesn't care about his reputation. The dad doesn't care about what the son has done. He doesn't worry about his past. The father runs to the son with open arms. He embraces him and what do they do? Together, they walk back home. The son tried to run his own course. The son tried to run his own life, and it led to destruction. God has called you to run a race, but before you can run, you must first learn to walk, and it starts by realizing that you have a father that ran to you, and because he ran to you, you can stop, and you can walk with him. Amen, church? Who is it you walk with this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for these texts that lead us in your truth and they teach us about what you want from us. You teach us what your desire is and your end game is for our life. And it's simply just to walk with you. God, we were made to walk with you, so open our eyes, help us see that as we walk through this wilderness, that you are walking with us, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that we can give you the scripts of our life and you can restore and you can redeem them. 
So Lord, this morning, we surrender our hearts to you. If there's anyone in this room that, that doesn't know you and they haven't surrendered their heart to you and they haven't uh, made that decision to stop running from you and walk, Lord, this morning, would you do a work in their heart as we sing this last song? God, would you help them open their hearts and learn more what it means to trust you? That's our prayer. That's our desire. We pray this in your name. Amen. If